Hi, this is Pam Johnson from Johns Hopkins here today to talk about pulmonary CTA, optimizing patient selection, protocol design, and interpretative performance. So this is going to be a three-part presentation and kicking off with background, pulmonary embolism. So the problem with pulmonary embolism is that patients can present with a range of symptoms from cardiopulmonary to syncope to hypotension. And if we miss a large pulmonary embolism, there's a high mortality rate. However, we need to be very careful in our scan performance and our interpretation because of the range of false positive exams and the risks of unnecessary anticoagulation. Quick review from medical school, the risk factors for pulmonary embolism um, listed here. And I think the some of the most important are oral contraceptives or hormone replacement, patients with malignancy, those who have had recent surgery and or are immobilized, um, and patients with clotting disorders as well. The D-dimer is a, is a great test that has evolved as part of the diagnostic algorithm. It's very sensitive for pulmonary embolism, but the specificity is lower. It increases with age, and so there are now age-dependent cutoffs. And unfortunately, it's positive in a range of different inflammatory and systemic conditions, including um, cancer, surgery, and pregnant patients, among others. Um, on the flip side, it can also be a false negative if the patient's had symptoms for more than two weeks or they're already anticoagulated. CT is the examination of choice in these patients. It has high diagnostic accuracy. It's a very fast scan. The high spatial resolution has improved our ability to identify even small pulmonary emboli. And when the patient doesn't have a pulmonary embolism, which is the case in the majority of scans that are performed around the country, we all identify an alternative diagnosis. As shown in this paper, very high sensitivity, specificity, and positive and negative predictive value for pulmonary CTA. Those of us who read these scans and perform these scans and read these scans understand the limitations that result from a range of different artifacts, respiratory motion artifact, low contrast enhancement resulting in a high, in a low contrast to noise ratio, mixing artifacts from unopacified blood, beam hardening artifact from dense contrast in the superior vena cava, resulting in suboptimal exams, not infrequently, and occasionally non-diagnostic scans. So here's an example two patients. One has a saddle embolism and one has a mixing artifact in the main pulmonary artery. As you can see, they, um, the mixing artifact is the patient on the right side of the, of the screen. And the reason is that the pulmonary arteries have not filled with enough contrast. This patient has cardiac dysfunction as evidenced by a complete absence of contrast in the aorta and we have not delivered enough contrast to the pulmonary arterial tree. So as a result, we have this mixing artifact that looks a lot like pulmonary embolism. 
Another example, we see this in patients with atelectatic lung, where they'll be mixing artifact in the main pulmonary artery and then diminished enhancement in the lower lobe arteries that basically make it impossible to determine whether the patient has pulmonary emboli. So in this case, is this thrombus or flow artifact? It's in the main pulmonary artery, so we really don't want to be cavalier. And in this case, we actually repeated the scan with a slightly longer delay, demonstrating that this is all artifact. So if we have this degree of artifact in the main pulmonary artery, we will have similar issues with the smaller branches. And as a result, it's very important that we take into consideration whether some small area of decreased enhancement is a thrombus or is it just artifact. Motion artifact looks a lot like thrombus on an axial image. You look at the coronal and you identify that it's just motion and not really a thrombus. When there's not enough enhancement in the peripheral arteries, we can um, have a similar appearance. And one specific scenario is that patients who are undergoing coronary CTA and get a saline flush, the flush ends up being distributed in the pulmonary arteries and looks a lot like pulmonary embolism, but it's bilateral and symmetric. With respect to overdiagnosis and false positive CTAs, this is actually a real problem that uh, many radiologists and ordering physicians are not aware of. There was a study published in AJR where 1,000 CTs were reviewed by three chest radiologists who, um, in, in, who evaluated every scan and they disagreed in 25% of the cases. Most concerning was that 60% of the subsegmental PE on the original scan were deemed negative by expert review. So we're, in other words, 60% of the cases where the radiologist said the patient had a subsegmental pulmonary embolism, they actually did not, and it was an artifact. And the reason that we want to avoid this is because of the risk of anticoagulation and bleeding in patients who are on heparin who develop a bleed. We immediately stop the heparin, but sometimes that doesn't solve the problem. So in this case, 55-year-old man on heparin with an acute rectus bleed required interventional radiology embolization of the inferior epigastric artery to stop the hemorrhage. And in this case, another 55-year-old man on anticoagulation had to undergo surgical evacuation because this was causing, this big bleed was causing a compartment syndrome and femoral nerve impingement. So the best way to avoid a misdiagnosis is to avoid an unnecessary test. And a lot of the emergency departments across the country are leveraging the clinical scoring systems that have been validated in the literature for, ver for a very long time and are reliable indicators to identify the patients who have pulmonary embolism. If there is a low clinical suspicion, the PERC um, evaluation, which is pulmonary embolism rule out criteria, so this algorithm is really excellent. The problem is, is that any patient over 50 can't, you can't evaluate them with a PERC. But if they're under 50 and they have none of these findings, 
then the likelihood of a pulmonary embolism is exceedingly low. So if they do not have an elevated heart rate, if they do not have an SAO2 less than 95 or leg swelling or hemoptysis, if they have not had recent surgery or trauma, no history of PE or DVT, and they're not on estrogens, very low likelihood of pulmonary embolism, and that patient should not even get a D-dimer. In that patient, an alternative diagnosis should be considered. This has been validated and tested most recently with a large randomized trial that showed that using a PERC was a safe and reliable method to exclude pulmonary embolism with no significant difference when compared to patients who did not undergo PERC. If the patient has even one positive finding on the PERC evaluation, then the next step in our, in our um, practice is to do a Wells calculation. There, the, the signs and symptoms are very similar, and there are two ways of scoring, either less than two, two to six, or greater than six, or what we use is the less than or equal to four or greater than four. So if the patient has a Wells score of less than or equal to four, we want them to get a D-dimer. And if the score is greater than four, then CTA is indicated. It's similar to the algorithm that was published by Ali Raja, my colleague in the emergency medicine department at Mass General Hospital, who emphasized the importance of using the PERC for low probability and then only considering a D-dimer if the PERC is positive, and then only performing a CTA if the patient has a high pretest probability or a moderate pretest probability and a positive D-dimer. This is a similar version incorporating the wells as I detailed previously. So one of the reasons that you're going to be seeing more clinical decision support around pulmonary embolism is that pulmonary embolism is one of the eight priority clinical areas identified by CMS where ordering physicians in the emergency department and in the ambulatory setting must consult a clinical decision support tool when they're ordering CT, MRI, or nuclear medicine studies. And if the consultation is not performed, then the radiology department and the hospital will not be reimbursed for Medicare patients. So again, it's in the ambulatory setting in the emergency department, CT scans, MRI scans, and nuclear medicine scans. In patients with headache, neck pain, low back pain, shoulder pain, hip pain, coronary artery disease, either known or suspected, suspected or known pulmonary embolism, and known or suspected lung cancer, either primary or metastatic. So I'm sure there's, if you're a radiologist, I'm sure there's someone in your practice who is working on this because January 2020 is the kickoff date. And if you're an ordering physician, you may start seeing clinical decision support alerts when you order exams for these conditions. What's our protocol? Well, we've reduced the contrast volume for average size patients. Because of the speed of the newer scanners, we use a higher concentration to improve the contrast enhancement level. And ideally, we infuse at least five mLs per second with an 18 gauge catheter. If the patient is thin, we like to scan them in flash mode, which reduces further reduces the 
uh, artifact, motion artifact, but it can only be performed for patients who have a smaller field of view. The technologists use bolus tracking in, in the main pulmonary artery. If it's a 64 slice scanner, they trigger at 120 to 150, and for the faster scanners, you can trigger later because the scan is so fast that you'll be able to capture the images in the peak level of enhancement. So a trigger around 200 with the faster scanners. And just to show you a couple examples here, the, the cursors in the main pulmonary artery, 143 Hounsfield unit trigger, excellent enhancement level. And it, for the radiologists who are listening in, I think it's important to describe the quality of the examination because it's only as good as the quality and it's important for the ordering physician to know whether you have a really exceptional level of enhancement with low motion artifact and you a higher level of accuracy or whether you have a low quality study which every practice experiences for a number of different reasons. It's a very patient dependent exam but it's important for the decision-making of the physician taking care of the patient. Another example of excellent enhancement trigger of 130 Hounsfield units in the main pulmonary artery revealing a saddle embolism. And in another case, 155 Hounsfield unit trigger showing large bilateral main pulmonary artery emboli. In this case, the trigger was a little bit later, 180 Hounsfield units, but it's still a high quality study. exceptional level of enhancement using about a 200 Hounsfield unit trigger on a faster scanner with a contrast all in the pulmonary arteries in the right heart and none in the aorta. In this case the trigger was a little bit later 290 Hounsfield units and we still have an exceptional study there's just more contrast in the aorta. The advantages of a fast scan. In reality sometimes the cursor is malpositioned resulting in a lower contrast enhancement level or the patient moves as in this case you can see the cursor bouncing around in and out of the pulmonary artery that's going to diminish the quality of the scan and here's an example where everything was done correctly 150 Hounsfield units in the main pulmonary artery and the contrast enhancement level is really low lower than the aorta this is a suboptimal exam and what happened here well the patient valsalvid so if you tell the patient to take a deep breath in. It results in Valsalva and all of the unopacified blood from the inferior vena cava comes up into the right heart and washes out the contrast and basically renders the entire examination um, suboptimal and all of the effort that was put in to time it and track it. So how do we avoid this? Expiratory imaging. During inspiration there's the unopacified venous blood that dilutes the column coming from the superior vena cava. But in expiratory imaging, we eliminate what they call the transient attenuation artifact. So rather than telling the patient to take a deep breath in and hold it, what we tell the patient is breathe normally, stop breathing. That way there's no risk that they took a big breath in right before they stopped breathing. Because it, it, if you ask them to do that, you will end up with the diminished enhancement. And these, this technique not only reduces that transient attenuation artifact, it also results in significantly higher levels of enhancement in the pulmonary arteries all the way to the segmental level. 
Once we perform the scan, we, the technologists select the reconstruction sections and you really should be performing your reconstruction sections less than one millimeter in thickness. So you use the narrow detectors and you maybe you can make it a little thicker like if you have a 0.6 millimeter detector you can reconstruct a 0.75 but you need to have one volume that's reconstructed at less than one millimeter section thickness and then we usually have we also have one at three millimeters so we have a three millimeter and a 0.75 millimeter volume and you must look at the thin sections or you will miss PEs and there have been several papers published even back in 2002 in radiology that's that reported that you had to use one millimeter section thickness and then more recently in 2011 you you this paper showing that you really needed to have less than one millimeter so you adequate protocol in these patients is is not two millimeter sections not even one millimeter sections they need to be less than one millimeter in thickness a nice example showing you of how much better you see the thrombus on the 0.75 millimeter sections so not only will you be able to identify more clots but you'll have a higher degree of diagnostic confidence similarly this was a coronary study where we suspected PE on the three millimeters went back and created 0.75 millimeter thin sections for the full field of view evaluation showing that the patient's symptoms were due to pulmonary embolism and there's some you know patients who go to car coronary CT the cause sometimes is a pulmonary embolism and vice versa and we now perform thin section full field of view reconstructions on all these patients so I'm gonna stop there and when we return we're gonna go through the, the um, we're gonna discuss the interpretation the imaging findings and uh, look forward to seeing you then have a nice day. Bye. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website ctss.com for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.